In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. have indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show director joe hunting whose new documentary we met in virtual reality premieres at the sundance film festival today the day we're dropping the show uh joe joins us to talk about the feature-length doc that was shot completely inside the vr chat platform then Dana Magar and Arisa Puno join us to talk about the Black Immersive Creators Grant, a $10,000 award whose deadline is coming up on February 28th. And our own Catherine Yu swings by for a discussion about what we've been checking out as part of Sundance's New Frontier. It's a big show this week, so let's get to that first interview with Joe Hunting right now. Joining us now is Joe Hunting, director of We Met in Virtual Reality, a documentary making its debut at the Sundance Film Festival this week that brings the viewer inside the vibrant VR chat community and shows off some of surprising sides of this world by following the relationships of individuals who met in VR. Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. Hi. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to to be on. I've listened to the podcast a handful of times and it's a yeah, it's a great show. So, thank you for the time. I first became aware you were doing this cuz our 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 mutual friend Fiona Jen Wilson told me mm. about what you were up to and I think I think we were talking a few months ago and I'm just sad, you know, we were so slammed at the end of last year that I didn't get a chance to talk to you like back in November when you're doing this, but I'm so excited that you're in Sundance. That's so cool. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, I think since we last spoke, we, we, we got accepted into Sundance and that's brought a lot of opportunity and, and excitement for the film. So I feel, yeah, I'm glad that we were able to talk about that because prior I probably would not have been. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited and yeah, I'm glad that um, Fiona was uh, mentioning the film. Fiona is in the documentary and it plays a very important and, and key role in, in the New Year's sequence. So, um, yes, I love Fiona. Hey- <laughs> now, you've been working on this since December of 2020, but when did you first jump into the world of social VR? I got into social VR in the summer of, summer of 2018. Um, and the kind of curiosity around VR chat specifically was around this article that I'd found. And in the article featured a handful of quotes from VR chat users discussing their experiences and reflecting upon the kind of profound relationships that they'd found in VR chat um, and social VR in general. And I think at that time I was studying film and also was playing a lot of games and had a, you know, close connection with online communities myself personally. And it just, um, you know, brought a lot of um, interest and excitement in, in me personally and immediately kind of jumped into VR chat, curious about those, those questions and, asked VRChat users about their experiences and, um, you know, explored that, those, those quotes in a, in a storytelling format in film and um, released 
my first documentary, A Wider Screen, in the beginning of 2019. And from that, found so much inspiration and love for the community as well and and what was being found in in that experience and in social vr so it kind of led me down a a path that i've been walking um from the summer of 2018 to to now in the the start of 2022 with uh with this feature film which is kind of an all-encompassing documentary that features every curiosity and kind of everyone that I really was passionate about representing. Now you shot this entirely in VR. So there's, there's nothing outside of VR chat in this piece, but the structure of the film still really hues to a very familiar kind of anthropological documentary form by following just a few sets of characters, uh, giving them arcs and interweaving their stories. Why was that your approach for what is in in so many other ways such an unconventional world? Mm. Well, I think first of all, the decision to not rep or show any real life imagery of the subjects of the film was one that came whilst I was releasing my first short films. Um, in those short documentaries, you see the physical representations, the physical flesh bodies of, of the subjects of the film. And I got a lot of reactions from people that that was their favorite moment. And that moment was a moment that really changed and influenced the way that they saw the stories and the subjects in, in VR, um, in the documentaries. And it was in reaction to those conversations that I felt I wasn't, people were not seeing the subjects of the film the same authentic way that myself as, as a director was was seeing them. Um, and there was a magic that was lost in, I think, seeing someone physically in, in the headset um, behind the avatar. And so the decision to not shoot any real life imagery for a feature documentary was very intentional um, because I think there's a magic you can find in seeing an avatar on a flat screen documentary and just, you know, really connecting to that voice and really connecting to the body language um, and sign language as well in, uh, in, in a virtual setting. And so I was very passionate about that decision and I'm really proud that, you know, I think there is a magic in that in the film and, um, you know, was important in my directing. And that, I, the, the bits with the, not even bits like the arc around sign language was so striking. Like I did not, I didn't expect that. I didn't know that was an aspect of the VR chat community mm. that there was a whole signing world in, in part because it's not something you, you completely expect um, because you know, the, the tracking required for, you know, proper hand tracking is still something that's relatively nascent tech technology wise, but that mm. there should be such a, a, a strong community working on teaching people the different sign languages is really amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. (laughs) It is absolutely striking. And I think the desire to communicate and the desire to teach and just the fundamental attitude of the Helping Hands community and and Jenny as a teacher who um, is appearing in the documentary is just so inspiring. And I think so shocking for audiences who are, you know, just learning about this space for the first time. Um, you know, I, the Helping Hands was community was was the first community I filmed with, and I was really passionate about representing 
their attitudes toward, towards VR and the positive impacts in terms of education and accessibility that um, they had. Um, but also just representing the deaf experience in a film. You know, it is an underrepresented story that, um, you know, I had the ability to share in a film that I think um, people would not expect that to be to be shared. And, you know, there's moments in the documentary that surround that community and, and a deaf character that are very profound and present a truth that um, was really important to to that person and also I think just the human condition and overcoming emotions um, in general. So yeah, the decision to really bring the helping hands community and the, and using ASL to help share that magic of communicating in a body um, in VR was, was magical and something that I will continue to, to do in my future work um, to speak to the kind of last part of that, that question around following different characters and just that decision to to not just share one story or like you know loads, but to very follow to follow follow very intimately on specific people. Um, the decision to use a familiar that familiar storytelling format that we see in other documentaries, um, like I could reference Alma Harrell's Bombay Beach um, and Love True, that follow kind of multiple characters very intimately that were inspirations of mine. I wanted to bring a story from VR chat and have it be on par and have people connect to it and feel it as truthful as a, a documentary made in the physical world. Um, and that wasn't made to diminish VR and all of its uniqueness, but made to help connect this world to audiences who are learning about it for the first time. So the decision was made um, yeah, in, in that context, I would say in kind of accessibility and, um, and bringing in a story that is so unfamiliar, bringing a story to, to bringing an unfamiliar story to the familiar, um, world of cinema and film. Um, yeah, so I would say that, that that could probably go on a, on a tangent and really get into the details of truth and cinema and and the, and the all the influences that came. You know, there's a scene in the film that's really similar to Jurassic Park, for example, and that's really fun. And, and using that, um, you know, in the story of the film was was so exciting. Oh, at, um, at some point so, when you're off the festival yeah. circuit, we'll we'll do a deep, very nerdy. We'll dive. do the deep uh, deep dive yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm I'm down to have that conversation at some point. Well, we I'm actually down even to have like a full no pro after dark with you on this one. Uh, <laughs> that that said. Uh, we are at this inflection point with all things virtual being under the microscope again, thanks to renewed interest by Silicon Valley. Like just today on Twitter, I saw people I think dragging the Decentraland people for talking about what looks like a very inept rave on their platform. And it just made me kind of giggle because I know how elaborate things are in, in VR chat. Um, and, and, and then watching the doc and just seeing like, yep, there you go. There's, there's a, there's an underground nightclub action going on in VR chat that looks like an actual underground nightclub. Um, what role as this is all spilling out into the mainstream mm. press, not just the mainstream tech press, but into the culture press and everything as, as a whole and in the finance world, what role do you think your doc could play in this larger conversation we're having about the metaverse verse verse, verse. <laughs> yeah 
I think you just defined the metaverse in, in like the best way possible. It's so speculative and uh, and mysterious that I think yeah, the long echo speaks way too much truth there. Um, I just, and I was just goofing around. I didn't know <laughs> I was going to do that until I did it. So. Well, yeah, you know, the metaverse is, is such a confusing and, and conflicted term now. Um, I don't even like to use it because I think it brings um, confusion around the film. You know, I usually just say VR and speaking to that, um, I hope that We Met in Virtual Reality presents and shares the existing reality and the existing world um, already happening inside VR chat that has been happening for you know, at least two years already. There are massive communities that gather every day of the week to hold events and create and share and just be together in virtual worlds. Um, so the concept of metaverse is, is very much happening and existing. Um, you know, I think that term obviously has a lot of financial truth attached to it and having kind of an established um economy something that is is familiar with that term and that's something that we i don't think we've really reached inside vr chat to be specific um so i think when that comes in that term will speak more truth in in vr chats context but in terms of just being together and socializing and traveling and just the, the fundamental experience of social vr it's very much existing and happening um and i hope the film will just ground people in what that is like on a very emotional level without getting shrouded in speculation and weird videos that you know we're seeing come out that are completely disassociated and are not speaking from the world but speaking very much from the outside perspective you know it was important to me to represent vr from within it and speak from it um from a place of um honesty and transparency rather than from a place of this is what it could be or um, this is what the potential is, but actually just reflect upon what has happened and what is happening. Well, Joe, you've done, I, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to do like a mini review right now, but I, I think you're going to get a lot of people talking. Uh, and I think you are going to get a lot of people understanding what it's like uh, inside VR chat. Thanks to this piece. Uh, break a leg so. with the premiere. Uh, Cause I know we're, t- we're talking about uh, before that happens and uh, we'll, we'll definitely have you back once you're, once you're off the circuit. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. I can't wait. Something I will say to the future of the metaverse is give us freedom of self-expression. We want to express ourselves. That's the one thing that I get obsessed about with the metaverse is I want to be expressive and free. There you go. There's my closing statement. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure and i look forward to the next time we speak speaking of vr chat those who are interested should go over to everythingimmersive.com. that is our searchable website for well everything immersive there you will find a vr chat worlds page curated by members of the vr chat prefabs world building community uh, including our friend fiona uh, who's leading this effort uh, there are pages for those who maybe just got a Oculus Quest over the holidays. There are top 10 lists, and this page is going to be updating on the regular for the foreseeable future. So uh, if you want to know more and you want to experience VR chat and the many wondrous and strange spaces that people are making for yourself, 
head on over to everythingimmersive.com. You'll find the VR chat worlds page link to on the front page. Joining us now are Dana Magar and Risa Puno. They are two of the board members of the Black Immersive Creators Grant, which is uh, embodied on the Artisan platform and whose deadline is coming up soon. The grant has a ten thousand um, dollar. I don't. You don't call it a prize because it's a grant, but a ten thousand dollar value. Uh, that is going to be given to a, a, a black immersive creator. Uh, Dana is the founder of New Sons Collective, a DEI strategy consultancy, and has a background in arts administration and program development. And Risa Puno, who should be familiar to a lot of you, uh, is an interactive installation artist uh, known here in Immersive Land as the creator of Privilege of Escape. Thank you both for joining us on the show this week. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I ditto. So I I did a butchered version of the elevator pitch for the grant, but maybe one of you can, before we start unpacking uh, this, because I, I, this is one of the more wonderful things to to, to emerge in the, in the past couple of months and, and exciting that it's coming to fruition very soon. What's the elevator pitch uh, version of this? Risa, you want to take this one? Sure. I'll go for it. Um, yeah. So basically... Um, yeah, the big headline is we are giving away $10,000. Um, and that award is to go to a US based black identifying creator who's working in the immersive space. And as you have talked at length about immersion and what is immersive, we are flexible as it is an emerging field, um, but it does have to be immersive in some way. Um, and the uh, funds can go toward uh, the creation of a new immersive work, or it can actually be used to uh, offset unrelated costs that would impair the freedom and comfort of of practicing their creativity and art. So um, we're really excited, and we really tried to make it flexible. And um, yeah, and deadline is February 28th. Um, so we absolutely would love to see tons of people apply. Um yeah. Oh, and also in addition to the 10 grand um, in cash, we are also hoping to connect the um, the person who gets the award to uh, resources within the industry. Like we are also collecting that um, in addition to raising the funds, we got in touch with different people in the industry who could maybe help support in different ways um, in addition to the funding itself. And this is for one artist. So this is going to be like a big injection of help for, for a singular artist. For this year, yes. For our first year, yes. But in the future, who knows? It's quite an exciting prospect, uh, particularly I've been part of the, uh, the Transformations Grant over at Artisan for a while. And that is, that is a much, much smaller uh, dollar amount grant. And uh, 10K can be a lot for a single artist. Um, Dana, I wanted to, to pivot over to you for a second uh, because you have a, a consultancy on on DEI. How does this grant, you know, one way to think about it, it's intersecting with sort of DEI strategy, uh, but also maybe embodies uh, 
DEI strategy. And and I guess also for those who maybe don't know, let's let's unpack that term a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So DEI strategy broadly is diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. Um, my philosophy when I go into organizations or work with people is I want work to suck less for people with marginalized backgrounds or marginalized identity points. And um, <laughs> And in speaking to a good friend of mine, Brendan Littlefield, um, who's associated with Linked Dance Theater, um, we were talking over the summer of 2020, where we saw a lot of just racial injustice being highlighted and, um, and everyone was looking for what they could do. Um, this was kind of a, a a boiling point for this um, in our culture. I think that it would be really hard to not associate that particular summer with racial justice. Um, and in a conversation, I, I am not particularly well-versed. I've gotten a lot more well-versed about the immersive world um, since my involvement in this grant, but learning that um this world is not as diverse as it could be, that there aren't as many Black creators as would be, you know, desired. Um, and so this grant aims to really just create opportunity in a meaningful way. So not just, um, hey, like, of course you're invited to participate in our world here, but we want to give someone the funds. We want to give someone the support. We want to give someone um, the mentorship or the um, the non-monetary support and resources that they need to actually get something off the ground um, and realize their creative vision. Um, so that's kind of the, where DEI comes into this grant is making opportunity and um, changing changing some of the ways we've seen things done in other areas. And um, I am just so happy to be on this board because not only are we able to provide the opportunity, but we're thinking really deeply about the way that this grant is structured, the way that the review process will work, because we want equity to be a part of every decision that we make as a board. Maybe drill in a little bit there. So what's what's your process going like that's, say, different from a process that people might be familiar with? Grant application and review processes, they look differently for every single grant you could find. But something that is kind of a, a best practice that we're thinking deeply about is how we review and make it so that we can be as objective as possible and um, are not swayed by any of you know, the biases we may have as board members um, about, you know, where people are coming from or who they know previously, um, but just looking at the strength of the proposal. And so we're doing things like creating rubrics and talking um, really in depth with each other about defining terms so that when it comes to the review stage, um, we have clearly communicated with everyone who has a role in that 
what these things mean so that um, so that we can make a fair assessment of the strongest applicant. Yeah, 100%. Like I think um, part of unpacking things for ourselves is, you know, for people who a lot of people have a background in like more traditional um, art making and performance. And a lot of that is rooted in white supremacist patriarchy, right? And so if that's the lens that we've learned in, there's some unlearning for us as well, right? In in thinking about how to assess stuff and, and how to um, sort of reframe our own thinking in the process of evaluating other people's work. Um, and I also absolutely love what Dana said about um, trying to support people coming into the industry. Like, I think it's... Um, that's the difference, right, between being admitted versus being welcomed in. You know, it's one thing to like leave the door unlocked for Black creators. It's quite another to open the door, welcome people in, give them a seat, bring them a warm beverage. You know what I mean? And we're hoping to do the latter. Absolutely. So this might be a bit of an oblique angle at the moment, but one thing that's always been apparent to me particularly when we, you know, when we here at NoPro look out and try and see, all right, who's making the work, where are creators of color, you know, where, where, where are black creators in particular? And knowing that, you know, we're a small group of people who do not have an omniscient view of reality because it's basically down to whatever we can Google and whatever our own networks tell us about, there does seem to be for lack of a better term, a a chicken and the egg problem in that there, we can't find black creators making the work. And then there's also, for me, always this question of, are there even, is this even the audience? Because the audience for immersive does tend to be so white. It's almost like we're inviting people in, maybe we're welcoming people in, but that relationship, particularly in this kind of work between the audience and the creators are, do we wind up asking folks in to talk to to an audience they maybe not want to talk about? Or have have you in the board found that there are these non calling it immersive mainstream is weird because it's so not, but these these non you know mainline immersive you know cultures happening uh, outside of the purview of 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 what you know you know. The American theater magazine doesn't even talk about us. So, you know, mm-hmm. outside of outside of these traditional gatekeeping spaces, um, are, are there are there pockets of creativity going on that you're already discovering, or are we really in a spot where the space has not been crafted out? That's that's just kind of an ellipses at the end of that, and not a, a question <laughs> But like, yeah, I, I there are days that I can't tell if it's like. Folks aren't making because there isn't an audience they want to talk to, or the audiences who they might want to talk to don't know the work exists. And even when we talk about, you know, immersive in very broad senses, when we bring in, say, the digital side of things, you know, that of course brings in income inequality and like, you know, just the, the non-ubiquity of, of the immersive technology. But it it really does I sit there scratching my head and 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 wondering, you know. Um, how those things go hand in hand, particularly because of the intimacy of the the audience to the to the work. 
You know, going kind of to the the core of the chicken and the egg question that you that you asked, and it's it's a rich question. Um, I think that we with the grant, the board of the grant, we're really focused on creating an opportunity for someone to come in who can focus on creating an immersive work, who, you know, may need to use some of these funds for rent money so they don't have to go to another job that takes up all their time for a while. Um, And that's the area where we can meaningfully make a difference right now with this group of people. I don't, I don't think we can know what we don't know. I don't think we can know the extent of what's out there. What are like, where is the new audience? Where are the new creators until we can provide some of this structure People may be creating things in Black communities that aren't necessarily connected to the immersive world at large, but are immersive, immersive works. And maybe they don't even know to call it that yet mm. um, because they're not connected to this community that's already been created in these spaces. So I, I don't want to be in a position where we're saying what does and does not exist. It's more of this is this is the the impact that we can make right now that we're really excited about and we're hopeful that by by creating this opportunity and you know allowing someone the freedom to create that we can see what comes next. We can see what are the audiences that have been overlooked that are, that are super interested? What are the new types of immersive work that can emerge from different creators that haven't been able to have a platform yet? Um, so it's we're kind of we're looking at these bigger questions and also narrowing in on what can we do well and what can we do now? Yeah, and also the fact that the immersive like industry, I guess, industry, um, it, it's still forming, right? Especially, I mean, it's one thing when you're talking about like corporate branding sort of opportunities, but when you're talking about, um, people who are, are looking to create art, who are looking to say big things or small things, um, there's still a lot of room for growth. And so it's a really great opportunity to make sure that it doesn't end up like a lot of other traditional like art or performance um, like mediums and and genres because um, where it doesn't become only white voices or mostly white voices, right? Like we have a chance to to bring in other stories, other like ways of creating a hundred percent to what Dana said about, we don't know, like, we don't know what we don't know. There's so many things. And if you, if you define immersive as like participatory, right. And the idea of, um, people having a role, like an active role in the work. I mean, there's so many things, um, in, in, like historical black art that that falls within that, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it hasn't been categorized in this current genre. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a freaking excellent point. 
I mean, the, the thing, the thing I always, maybe even like, you know, coming out of college, I was always flabbergasted by was, you know, your world starts to shrink the older you get because of your social connections. And America is such a racialized society, such a racist society, uh, in a way that's sufficiently unconscious that a lot of people freak out when you point it out to them, right? We, we've watched that for the past couple of years, you know, happening constantly uh, front and center in our culture uh, in a way that it was, you know, merely running as a constant background process and uh, in the in the mainstream media, at least. And so you, you just, you see these little art worlds or you see these tech worlds and they just calcify so quickly uh, once a few things have kind of become accepted as um, conventional wisdom. And so many folks get left out of the conversation. And the thing I'm always in kind of abject terror of is wondering whether or not we've already crossed that point, right? Like always, always scared that like, you know, it's, it's too late. We've already, we've already reached the point where, you know, the people who are the people are, are already enshrined and, and that's just the way it's going to be. And the, the inertia on that can be so severe. So it, it really, it's really always great when like new voices or new eyes join, you know, or, or connect. We find some like other bubble of folks working in the space who, who, don't know about the bubble that we're living in. And then those bubbles can kind of merge and, and start to get bigger. And initiatives like this are designed to breach those walls. What, what drew you both to working on this? For me, this is Dana. Um, I am good friends with Brendan Littlefield, who is with linked dance theater. And this is a conversation that, you know, we originally had about like, what could we do? What, you know, what could linked do? And, um, you know, in supporting artists, in supporting communities, if, if you can give people money, if you want them to create funding them and, and being able to fund them, and give them the freedom to create how they would like to is so important. Um, and so it, it all really just started with a conversation and um, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here, but we're, we're excited about being able to just do something, give something material. Um, it was important to us to not have restrictions on this fund usage because we know that, again, we, we know that we don't know, you know, everyone's story, what is, what is hindering any given person from creating and entering the immersive field. So we wanted to make it as accessible as possible to, you know, meet these grant requirements that, um, and just get to the making of it. 100%. I'm I'm with Dana on all of that. I think another reason why um, I personally was really interested in being a part of this is as a non-Black person of color, I think that solidarity is so important. And 
I am here for it. You know, I was like this because, because it's important because I want to see the immersive world get like more awesome. And I believe this will make it more awesome. And to speak to what you were saying a little bit um, ago, Noah, about worrying about calcification and worrying about whether it's past that tipping point, I refuse to be intimidated by that um, because I think that if you look at even just like historical activism, right? Like if people got intimidated by that, change would never be made. And it's this resilience to push on, um, even if things look um, intimidating or overwhelming or like it's past the tipping point, it's only going to tip back with effort and with change and with introducing new people to things. And so I, I'm. that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited about this grant. I think especially right now, like what Dana was describing about, um, about the sort of racial reckoning of 2020, right? It's like, it's on people's minds. It's, it's the barrier to starting the conversation is lower now than mm-hmm. it has been before. So, mm-hmm. you know, got to strike while the, while the iron's hot. Yeah. I completely resonate with that, Risa. I, my background is in opera. That's what my degrees are in. And I've worked in um, arts administration at opera houses and in classical music. And, you know, speaking of art forms being calcified, um, (laughs) (laughs) you see a lot of that there. And it was really exciting to think about the type of impact that we could have with one grant in an art form that is still, you know, as Reese said, defining itself, it's still growing. And the the kind of impact we could have here to saying like, no, 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 we're not going to let that happen um, was really exciting. Um, it, it gives me a lot of hope working with all the board members who are just so invested in making a difference and, um, I, it's, it's been like a joy to work on and I'm really excited to see what can come out of it, not just for whoever the grant recipient is, but you know, what ripples this can create and how, you know, how do we work against that calcification, that kind of like stagnancy in this art form that we've seen in so many others. I've, I've, it's really hard to change things in the opera world right now. (laughs) You know, people throw a fit if you set Don Giovanni in the 1940s, because that's not historically accurate, but it's a production and you should get to have some creativity for productions. But this is, like Risa said, the barrier to entry is so much lower at this moment in this industry. Um, to make a real change and to make, and maybe really change the direction, you know, change, like here's a fork in the road and we're doing something proactive to, to make sure that we, we don't slow down and get too comfortable. Yes. Let's stay uncomfortable. (laughs) That is an excellent point for us to, to, to wrap on. So, uh, the grants deadline is February 28th. Eighth, um, about how long before after that before we learn who the recipient's going to be? Our plan is to announce the recipient um, on May first. Risa, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that May is 1st. what we. Yeah, that is our current goal. Yes. <laughs> so um, 
but we are so excited. We've been receiving um, some great applications. We can't wait to see more. And um, we wanted to, we also wanted to do this in February on purpose um, to be able to give instead of take from Black creators during Black History Month. Um, we thought is it was a, a great tie-in that, um, you know, it worked for our timing as well, but we wanted to make sure that like we could give back. This is a month where, Black creators especially are called upon to, you know, kind of trot out one one month a year. <laughs> to, um, and we wanted to fight back against that um, just with how we were going about this too. So we want to make sure to give to a Black creator during Black History Month. Um, and we're excited about all of the proposals that have been sent in so far. Absolutely. And just a note, a practical note about um, the application. So the the um, it's centered on artisan. But just so you know, there is a, like a Google form to fill out alongside it. So make sure you do both. Mm-hmm. And if like there are any questions, there's a Twitter account. It's B-I-C Grant um, is the Twitter handle. And um, they'll be posting like tips and information, you know, just general things like how to put together a project budget and stuff like that, but also, um, you know, reminders and things like that. And if you have any questions, reach out to them directly via DM or email bicgrantinfo at gmail.com. And um, our support team is amazing and they're happy to answer any questions for people. Like we want this to be as as simple and straightforward to apply as possible. Mm-hmm. And I would just say if, if, you're listening to this and you yourself are not qualified as an applicant, do the, a little bit of the work and uh, help spread the word, right? Uh, let more people know. We're only going to find more incredible applicants for this grant if people share it, share it, share it out. And we've got yeah, a whole sharing. month to do that. Yeah. Sharing is great, but also like other forms of support, like um, helping like edit, like, documentation videos or like reading over somebody's application or helping somebody put together a budget. Like there's like sharing is obviously great, but there are also other ways to support people applying for the project. All right. For the grant. Well, thank you both so much and uh, looking forward to see how it all shakes out. Thank you. Thanks. Before we carry on into our final segment, just want to give a quick shout out to our latest Patreon backer, Rebecca Ursulio. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us in our quest to catalog the immersive world in all of its forms and shapes and sizes. Uh, If you want to keep us going, there's never a better time than right now to go over to patreon.com slash no proscenium. $2 a month is all we ask for everybody. Um, And if that actually happened, uh, I could stop worrying about everything. No, really. Two bucks. That's all it takes. Uh, And with that, uh, we'll be coming back in just a second with uh, our own Catherine Yu and diving into the Sundance New Frontier. Joining us now is NoPro's executive editor, Catherine Yu. Hello, hello. Who, like me, is on the Sundance beat this year. And my face hurts. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, we were just we were just going over uh, whatever what we both done uh, in time, and Catherine has done everything except for two things <laughs> on the list. So that is a total. And mind you, the press preview was literally yesterday as we we're recording this. I, I think it so, was a day or two ago. Yeah, <laughs> but still. Yeah, it was. It was no. I guess it was Tuesday. It was two days ago. Yes. So uh, fi- there are fifteen things. Catherine has done thirteen things so far. I think I've done four. Um, <laughs> so much we've done together, and uh, yeah. So, but just like okay, so let's start with a little bit of overall impression. Uh, this we're dropping this on Friday the twenty first. The festival proper started yesterday the nineteenth. This I believe is going through the twenty eighth. So you've got seven more days. Uh, Explorer passes, which get people onto the New Frontier spaceship, gives them access to the Sundance shorts and the and the and some of the indie uh, TV stuff, I think. But this entire collection of material that is some of which is computer only VR, uh, some of which is web browser, a, a fair chunk of which can work on the Quest. Um, even a lot of the Quest Ones. There's a couple of mobile phone pieces. Um, worth the 50 bucks if this is your jam? What do you think, Catherine? I think if you are into the potential for what can be done, especially if you're like a VR head like me, um, I mean, there's if you have a Quest 2, five of the pieces will just work on your quest too. Some of them are more interactive. Some of them are more like film. Um, there's also a bunch of stuff where I think they made a conscious effort for it to work in the browser. And I actually thought for some of the pieces, it was a better experience just looking at it through the browser. So in terms of comparing it to some of the other festivals where you really need a gaming PC setup, uh, there's only like two things that actually require a gaming pc setup everything else is accessible if you have a laptop and a quest too all right and so that means for all those people who've gone out and you know picked up a headset over the holiday because they were available everywhere maybe you couldn't get a ps5 or an xbox and you're like oh eh, this quest is here this is best buy check out and like why oh it's in my bag you know Maybe if you have that experience, maybe if you're someone who's been thinking about developing work, sounds like 50 bucks for an Explorer Pass, run around on the weekend, uh, pretty good value. Uh, okay. On that note, let's dive into some specifics, starting with one of those pieces that uh, is, is available on the Quest 2 and not the Quest 1, and that is uh, On the Morning You Wake to the End of the World. Quick disclaimer on this one. Uh, Michaela Ternaski Holland uh, is the impact producer on this piece for Games for Change. Michaela also often works with us uh, here at NoPro. So uh, in the family, uh, not that that ever stops us, although I believe both of us really liked yeah. this one. So congratulations, everybody. This time we don't have to have an awkward conversation <laughs> about someone we like's work. Um, Catherine, tell us about this one. So this is a historic, it's based on a historical event where the residents- a very of recent Hong- historical very event. Very recent like, historical like, like event. 2018, I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Early morning, the residents of Hawaii got a alert on their mobile devices that 
um, it was it was a missile alert. Basically, they all assumed that this was a correct, real, accurate, you know, um, one of these war games scenarios where you're like, oh yeah, whatever. The government, um, it can't. This can't be real. This can't be real. But to the people who woke up that day, it felt real. It looked real. Um, it said, spoke, "This yeah. is not a drill." Yeah. Like the the text message was ballistic. Something to the, pretty close to just ballistic missile inbound find take, shelter like take, take cover, cover now now take cover now this is not a drill and right in that kind of amber alert way that yeah. everybody got it all at once so if you were sitting next to somebody their phone went off you know like, and the, the citizens of hawaii are used to getting for example tsunami alerts or they're used to like having hurricanes sweep through but this i think caught a lot of people off guard and you know, if if you don't know anyone there, if you ha- haven't been to Oahu, you don't necessarily think of it as like, oh, there's a lot of active military stuff going on, like Pearl Harbor and all that is there. Uh, I have a friend who grew up on Oahu. Her parents still live there. I've been to her house. And so as they were showing everyday people's reaction to this, like I recognized scenery and that mountain range and the highways mm. they were showing. And I was just like, you know, it it's terrifying. And I think the creators did a great job of kind of looking at different people's reactions and, uh, you know, for any kind of event like this, you know, who you're with when you get the news, where you are when you get the news, what, you know, by instinct, you know, um, where are my parents? Where's my kids? Where should I go? All of that is kind of embedded in this. And it's done in such a way that you really feel a connection to these folks who are being interviewed about what their experiences were like that day. Yeah, there's the team behind this is also the team behind Notes on Blindness, uh, which was one of the first uh, documentary style pieces in VR that got a real buzz years and years ago at the beginning of, of our VR renaissance. And this one, it just does such a good job of, you know, like I, I, I do admit that like at times I, I lost track of like who was saying what because of the way it was presented, but the, the, the full sweep of what was happening um, just took something that like, I remember the day it happened and kind of being like, whoa, what a head trip, right? Like th- that's gotta be kind of bad. And then being like, okay, well, that happened, right? You know, like, no, you know, no harm, no foul. And and learning that, like, people went into full-on panic, were, were taking these, like, extraordinary measures. Like, I don't want to give away what some of them are because it's, it's really – you sit there and go, like, they did what? And that, like, everyone just kind of lost it. And they also they knew they had 15 minutes, right? right. It's yeah. like, a, good morning. It's 15 minutes till the end of the world. Do you know where your family members are? Do you ha- – no one had a plan for this kind of thing. And, you know, if you think yeah. about it, um, what, what this is one of the have? most isolated locations on the planet. So, I mean, here in California, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Find someone with a basement, drive out to the desert. Not really I mean, possible in a remote not, island chain. You're, yeah, but you're, you're also not going to get out to the desert in 15 minutes. I like, know. like the, the highway is going to be packed. Like the, the truth is, is like we get the ballistic missile alert. You know, if it's actually coming in, it's just like, oh, well, it was a weird run, right? You know, that's 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 my sort of fatalistic angle on it. But 
what I think is amazing about this piece is like, you know, it, it dredges up all of this. It also brings up the fact that we've got these nuclear arsenals out there that can just like wipe us all out in a heartbeat that we don't think about on the regular anymore because they're not front and center in the news cycle. And yet here, here it is, here's the potential. Um, so just a really, a really, um, and a really amazing piece on, on the, the level of what it is talking about and also just executed really well, um, in this way that like creates a sense of place and, and identity for the people in it. And does that thing where they, you sometimes find in VR where there's a, an expressionist, an expressionistic aesthetic that allows you to not get hung up on how things look, but instead focus on the feeling and the, the breadth of the issue at hand. And so just a really kind of stunning piece that way. But also keeping it really personal as you're with these people who are trying to figure out what they're do to do, like in their bedroom. Yeah. So fantastic. And I think this is technically labeled chapter one, take cover. So I really hope that they're going to keep working on this project and we'll see future chapters coming out soon. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think there's going to be more I, and there's, there's more stuff. I, I kind of want to like watch it again. There was a, there's a, an amazing line at the beginning of this. That's like a, a saying in Hawaiian uh, that's broken down for us. And it, it's this really interesting meditation on like how we experience time or like how it, it it's anyway. Yeah. Check it out. I'll dig that one up. I may even take it up for my, for my written <laughs> notes on it. Um, you just got done with seeing uh, 32 sounds, which is a feature length doc from documentarian Sam Green. This is a follow-up to a, a piece that uh, Sam did last year called Seven Sounds. Um, Sam Green is uh, first came out of my radar as the documentarian who made uh, the Weather Underground documentary, uh, which uh, that was, oh my God, going on going on <laughs> 20 years ago now. Um, probably, probably about 18, 18 or so years ago. Um, you're fresh off that one. So, um, yeah. What, yeah, what, I th- what is it? Tell us about it. So I think we're going to find this. To me, it seems like there's prop, there's some sort of thread through multiple pieces that, um, I've been seeing at new frontier around memory and time travel. Mm. And so seven sounds after a brief introduction, Sam Green and J.G. Sampson, the musician, kind of implored the audience to put their headphones on and close their eyes and just kind of listen. And it felt a lot more analytical. This is actually, it, to me, this feels more like a true documentary where there's visuals and we're exploring 32 sounds, but we meet a lot of really amazing people along the way. And Sam also shares some information about his personal history. And for one of the subjects of the documentary, we actually come back to her multiple times as um, she's working through what turns out to be the loss of her partner after they'd been together for 40 something years. Um, Mm. 
And it's just a really interesting way to explore kind of the human condition and the human experience, but through the lens of sound. And they go to all sorts of places. So there's a mention of 433 by John Cage. Uh, Sam also stitches together a bunch of just people who are famous, but reacting to, I have to sit here and uh, have this person record silence because I need room tone for a post-production. Um, you know, there, there are lighthearted moments. There are moments that are just absolutely um, fascinating and kind of like, I got chills a couple times where there was an interviewee who was a sound scientist who came across cassette tapes of his 11 year old self talking to his future self. And we, the audience got to hear what the 11 year old version of him said to the future version and the future version was reaction, reacting. Uh, there was also a Lebanese musician who happened to be recording uh, during, I, I don't remember the exact date, but he was somewhere in the world. And while he was recording, there was a bombing and he just let the tape keep rolling and like he was able to share that tape with a lot more people through this documentary. We also meet the deaf uh, sound artist, Christine Sun Kim. We meet a Foley artist. Uh, we meet some other musicians. And then the one that we return to a lot is uh, Ania Lockwood, who you might know for her Fluxus-inspired composition pieces, which involved setting pianos on fire. But she also has a huge interest in um, recording nature and natural sounds. And one of the reasons why kind of this time travel thing kind of sprung to mind is uh, Sam shares with us some cassette tapes that he found of like old answering machines from years ago that uh, have a loved one that he's lost. And Anea uh, did lost, she was the one who lost her partner of 40 something years. And she's also kind of like admits that, uh, you know, one of the reasons why she loves nature is because like this is, to me, it felt like it was part of the grieving process, kind of the, the loss process, but also hearing like sounds of her partner's laughter from like many years ago that she was able to share. So it, it, there's all these thoughts around the fact that like you have people who are captured in a moment in time, you're able to have that recording later and come back to it. And maybe it felt mundane at the time, but now it has meaning. And hopefully I didn't spoil like too much of that for you, but I thought it was just really well done. And I thought um, just a really big evolution from uh, Seven Sounds, which was presented at New Frontier last year. All right. We've done about two so far <laughs> and we're like 15 minutes in. So we're going to, we're going to maybe speed run uh, through a few of these here. Um, uh, just because uh, we're also we've got our, our written diaries uh, coming up, and then I and then I kind of want like you know, take a step back and kind of you know, you know talk in some broader senses. You know, we, we you and I never sit down on the podcast and just talk. So um, <laughs> though we talk all the time IRL. So uh, Gondwana is one that I've done that you haven't done yet, and it's one that I had uh, Shari talk about on last week's episode, and Shari sort of on last week's episode said like you know. You can lose hours in it. Yes, you can. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I, I, I think I only spent maybe like 15, 20 minutes in. I, I have a short attention span when it comes to um, many things in life uh, these days. Uh, that, that's something that uh, the pandemic has definitely uh, uh, put back into me. Uh, but 
golly gee willikers, um, there's something just so lovely about this. It is a procedurally generated uh, version of a rainforest in uh, Australia. It is uh, exists in like time lapse. So every every like 12 or 13 minutes or so is functionally a year. There are moments when like time very clearly speeds up. So it's not, it's not consistent. It's not like, you know, a steady pace of like day night cycle, but it's like there's day night cycle, day night cycle, and then kind of lingers for a while. And then there's a period where like it's spinning, you know, speeding up really quickly. So like, you know, the sky is moving very fast. Like you're in a planetarium show and it's day night, day night, which is always exciting. Um, But it's also just, meditative and beautiful and just pure traversal but also you can just find a spot and chill for a while and i found myself at one point just sitting on the beach looking out at the sunset for like a good i don't know how much time you know like you you lose all sense of time and and to your time travel theme, I think that's that's in here. Um, let's 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 pick through a, a couple others. Uh, you've um, you mentioned? Did you say the child of empire left you crying? Oh my gosh! So no, um, I haven't seen this one, so don't. I'm okay, don't well, just uh, in general, it's about the 1947 partition of India and Pakistan. Oh, and the setup is uh, that you have a Hindu character who's talking about his journey and a Muslim character who's talking about his journey. And the conceit of it is that they're old friends sharing chai and playing a game together and kind of, I don't know if reminisce is the right word, but kind of going back to what it was like to become a refugee. Mm. So just bring your tissues because yeah. Okay, and that that's one of the pieces that's available on Quest One or Two. Yes. Um, another one, another one, and that runs. We'll do a little speed on any of the stuff you've seen. Uh, this <laughs> is not a ceremony. Tell oh, us about that one. Another one where, um, based on a true story, uh, some tragic events. Uh, so you you get to hear the stories of these two real life indigenous men, but there's also uh, I I guess. On, on the site, they're called trickster poets, but they kind of act like hosts or commentators where these two indigenous men are also kind of reacting to the story as you're also watching the story. Plus there's stuff in here around kind of a creation myth. And it's just really lovingly well done and I think has a lot of interesting stuff. While the actual events on paper i think might feel very heavy it doesn't necessarily have that sense of like hopelessness which i thought it like it's that's such a tough needle to to thread when you're doing something that is based on a real life tragedy but you know i i came out of it feeling hopeful which is you know so tough so tough to achieve but i really enjoyed this one was there another one that really moved you in in that kind of way oh gosh um so I think Shari kind of highlighted that uh, seven grams, the 
Democratic Republic of Congo and the minerals that get mined for the use of the smartphone. I guess I probably wasn't paying enough attention when Shari was describing it, but I did not realize that this is an augmented reality piece and it's just so cool and meta to be doing an AR piece through your phone where you see your phone, but also it's in your phone. And then there is a personal connection and a real life story and that really important call to action. And uh, I'm not gonna say what the call to action was, but it feels actually doable, which is something that's also like a really tough thing to accomplish. All right. Well, now, now I'm really looking forward to it. I've got it downloaded. I just haven't managed to do it yet. Um, so that one, that one might be at the top, top of my stack. Um, another one, uh, another one we both did, uh, flat earth VR. That one's one of the ones that's, uh, it's on steam. Uh, so it's a computer-based VR one. Uh, this is like a satirical take on the uh, the beliefs of the Flat Earth Society, the folks who believe that the Earth is flat. And it's kind of a fully embodied uh, version of that. You're put into a rocket ship and sent off with uh, specifically analog cameras to go take photos of it. Um, it's, your, it's, it's your job to get the evidence, right? Your that, job to get the evidence so, the Earth, super the important job. <laughs> Yeah, super important job that it's flat. Uh, you know, this is satire. It's a comedy. Um, I, I found myself, um, I found myself a bit torn because, on the one hand, very polished uh, and and funny in that kind of like Daily Show, you know, making fun of like, look at this stupidity. Uh, it's like a dash of internet memory, like it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but there's there's a there's a note at the beginning that the uh, the actual flat earthers sort of like wound up helping, but they didn't know they were, they were, you know, involved in, in a satire. Like they, they, looked they didn't know they were being made fun of. They didn't know they were being made fun of. And weirdly enough, if that hadn't been lampshaded at the start, right. Hmm. If that note hadn't been there, I wouldn't have given in some ways a second thought to like the humanity of the, of the flat earthers who, you know, are, are clearly, there's some part portion of them are grifters who believe in nothing and are just trying to make some money off these folks. There's some portion of them who are, are probably, you know, deeply disturbed individuals who may be uncompensated, uh, medically from their condition. I know because I've, I've had people of that condition in my life for decades who get attracted to these kinds of belief systems. And then you have some people who just, you know, like believe in weird shit and who, you know, are, are, they're the suckers, you know, they're, they're the people that get grifted. So those are kind of the three types of people who get attracted to this sort of stuff. And I just, I, I came out of it instead of just being like, <laughs> oh, snark. Instead I came out thinking like, oh man, like we live in such a polarized time. Like, is it is it really all that great to celebrate the polarization anymore? Like I just I just I don't know. I I kind of I think I'm over that. Hmm. Like on a personal level, you know, like we've done it does so much damage all the time. And it doesn't mean that like, well, got to go be the bigger people or like let's all be like, you know, ethically perfect all the time, but just I don't know, man, like when I'm, when I'm reveling in the delusion of someone else 
and and being like, oh God, this stupid, stupid bastard. Um, not really being my best self in that moment. And I, I was very aware of that as mm-hmm. as I took the headset off, which I don't know if that was the intent of the piece, but that's where I landed. <laughs> so um, take take that for for what you will. Right. It's just, it's just kind of hard when you know we can't we can't agree on what consensus reality is anymore. Like that's actually the thing I think is fascinating about this is that something like flat Earth is so obviously like demonstrably untrue, but then you start to look at the mechanics of how someone can believe in it, or just the fact that we have a world where such things have have metastasized. Like there have always been flat earthers, like forever. But now like this sort of stuff grows to a degree that there were like hundreds up to maybe even a couple of thousand people in Dallas like a couple of months ago waiting for the return of JFK Jr. Right? Like this stuff is going on all the time. And it's getting bigger. And and the struggles we have with getting everyone to agree on what's real, like, I don't find humor in it anymore. I just find tragedy. Because it's it's hurting us all every day. So anyway, laugh well, a minute. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it is. It. I mean, there's. There's some. There's some. There's there some are some great, great jokes. Great there's jokes. Some great jokes. Like, like there's. There's some absolutely fantastic jokes in this. But it just really. I. I. I landed somewhere I was not expecting to land, even when like it, it took off. So, um. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other pieces on on your end? We're not going to cover everything. Uh, but any other pieces? Uh, but we're 25 minutes in now, so I'm like. Um, I did want to mention Diagnosia, which is one of yeah. the other PCVR pieces. PCRV pieces, yes. Um, so the creator... Not PSVR. That's a yes. totally different thing. Yes. Yeah. So the creator of this um, actually was incarcerated at in a military-operated internet addiction camp. And he's recreated a version of that camp in VR. And it's it's documentary, but it has a lot to do with first-person games and walking simulators because he is forced to keep a journal and you are able to pick up pages from his journal and have him talking about the other people who are in the prison with him, the things that he's being forced to do, um, trying to like, he and another prisoner try to like scheme their way out. They really want to escape and being able to kind of walk around in his memories. uh, I believe that there are some actors who are kind of playing some of the other folks and so it almost felt like oh yeah this is a documentary but also he's put in npcs from his own life Mm -hmm. and so the 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 way that they treated him and the problems that he was having and then at the end um he you end up in a recreation of his bedroom where he has documentation around who created internet addiction and these internet addiction camps and surprise it's like the same people who say that this is a big problem are also the ones charging a bunch of money to fix your child so another one where it's like pulling from the video game playbook but also the documentary playbook and it's all done in vr so i thought that you know i i haven't seen anything like that for a while the only thing that i can remember from recent memory is um we still live here which i think was like a couple film festival cycles ago but always interested in seeing people kind of taking from that video game toolbox and he himself acknowledges the irony that he made something that looks like a video game in vr to talk about his time 
in video game and internet addiction jail. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. That one, I think that's now number two in my queue. I think now it's uh, seven grams, and then that will be the next two things I crack into. Um, we are dropping more of our notes uh, into our diary format, uh, which Catherine will be filling out over the next few days, I imagine. Uh, and I'm promises, that, promises. <laughs> yeah, you know, until the, until the yeah. end of the run. Like you don't have to, you don't have to deliver now. <laughs> I deliberately changed the newsletter. I was going to say like Thursday, and like I woke up this morning and said it. I was like, nope, I'm just going to say like going alongside. I'm not. Uh, we're, we're running around. Um, well, originally I was planning that we were going to have like a, a broader talk, but we've been at this for 28 minutes now and we have a couple other segments on the show. So I think this will probably be the last segment of the show too. Um, I think we'll, we'll probably leave it at that. And then uh, maybe you and I will get back together in a few weeks and kind of talk about how the year's been kicking off so far. So uh, I got to say, uh, I, I, I came into the top of this year pretty shook. I think everyone can understand why uh, at least long time listeners can. Uh, and, and now I'm starting to like get back into the cycle and having, having a really approachable Sundance this year is really helping with just with my own mental health, but also I think giving me some hope about where, uh, where all of this is headed. Uh, even, even as the, the broader world is kind of off the rails cool things are happening people are making interesting stuff it is always good you know to see that hell yeah all right Catherine. thanks for dropping in adios and that is show number two for 2022 in the can uh, thanks so much to Joe Hunting, Dana Magar, Risa Puno, and of course, Catherine Yu, uh, without whom, uh, if those people weren't on the show, we wouldn't have had a show. So there you go. And that all came together this week. Uh, we're, we're back in the swing of things. You can go over to nopersinium.com and you will find our Sundance Diary there right now. Uh, and uh, Catherine's notes are in as I'm recording this. My notes are starting to go up uh, a little bit later today. Because uh, as always, I'm running behind because that's what I do. Because maybe I was up to four in the morning. Why I was up to four in the morning? No idea. No, no idea. I just was. I just was. I'm in that, I'm in that headspace these days. Um, want to do our traditional shout out to our Patreon backers. It's going to probably be like a relatively quick, uh, quick end of the show here this week. So we're just going to get you out. I don't know. Stick around for a second. Maybe I'll say something interesting. It happens sometimes. Uh, but big shout out, of course, to our sustaining backers, Ari Hurston, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for keeping the show and me alive. Um, yeah. Uh, Sundance, uh, you heard a whole bunch of stuff, us talking about all of that stuff. Um, we are, uh, we've, we've changed a couple of things. See, told you stick around. Uh, we've changed a couple of things, uh, starting this week. Uh, we're modifying, uh, the newsletter format. Um, uh, we're making, trying something I've been meaning to try for a long time, which is just one newsletter for everybody. Um, as opposed to all the regional ones, uh, and no longer super exhaustive lists of just, here's everything that's going on. 
uh, because we make those lists in other places. <laughs> and if you want to see those, we update them more regularly if you go to everythingimmersive.com. Um, but using the newsletter to curate and highlight uh, a little bit more. Uh, and we'll start having the newsletter kind of uh, talk a bit more to uh, the EI site as well. But this week, one of the things we did was pointed out that the Emmys are coming back. Uh, they are the awards. Uh, we did them uh, for 2020. And uh, we, uh, we're we recalling these are the 2022 awards. They are for things in 2021. You know how awards your stuff goes. Anyway, these are the second Emmys. Uh, and it's a different structure this year. Uh, the staff is uh, coming up with the nominees. And then we're going to put the voting out to all of you. So nominees are dropping uh, this coming week. Uh, Wednesday is our target day to drop the nominees and then voting's going to open next Friday, run for a couple of weeks. And then we're going to do a live show in the discord to announce the winners. That's one thing that's going on. You'll find that in the newsletter. You'll also find, uh, as I mentioned, there's, uh, there's a couple of events and things we're highlighting in there. Um, and yeah, uh, we're, we're experimenting because, uh, we want to do a better job of highlighting the best work and of growing the audience. And sometimes I know when I look at like a, a, a just a big giant list of things, my eyes just glaze over. So, uh, going to try and do a better job of uh, teasing out the stuff that, uh, that deserves everyone's attention. Uh, while also, because we know we serve a lot of you know, specific regions, making sure that we're serving those regions and that we're serving them in a timely fashion. That's the other fun thing about going to uh, one newsletter a week for everybody. Um, if something big happens in New York on a week where we weren't going to do a New York newsletter, well, we're not going to wait anymore. It's just going to be there. So there you go. No more waiting. No more waiting. Did have one person be like, oh, I want an exhaustive list and I'm canceling my Patreon. I'm like, okay, cool. We're not providing what you want. That's fine. Everyone else seems to be okay. So yay. Uh, that's, that's on that. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, things are still just deeply weird. So, uh, we'll keep on experimenting until things don't feel deeply weird. One day, maybe, uh, <laughs> let's do the credits. Associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for the No Persinger podcast is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Shivana Lachlan for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu uh, is the executive editor over at No Persinium. And uh, we'll get back to doing headlines at some point. Don't worry. Those, those aren't gone forever. Uh, just got to get back in the swing of things. This podcast is produced, edited, blah, blah, blah by yours truly. And until next time... Thank you for wearing the mask. Mm -hmm.